This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org The first line. That, uh, that's been a, kind of a big thing when I look in the mirror and I'm wondering, is that all to see? And is that good or is that bad? You know, it's a challenge. Oh, Lord, we do ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds. We pray that you're not bringing us here this morning just because it's Sunday, but because it's where we want to meet you. Help us to still our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Help us to empty ourselves. And Lord, help us to praise. Help us to worship. Teach our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to come before you even as we leave. Prepare our hearts and our minds now and for the rest of the week. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Uh, Coming up in the middle of April, you'll see that. Next week we'll have a flyer in the bulletin, but we have an evangelism evangelism conference. Uh, Some from the church have been invited to speak at in Woonsocket uh, at Firm Foundations Church, and uh, everyone's invited, but we just need to know who's coming so that materials can be prepared for everyone who will be there. So there'll be more details coming up next week in the flyer, but um, just wanted to let you know that. So my number of favorite Christian music artists has just doubled, and um, just want to let you know that. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble. It would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, For it is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So as I mentioned uh, two weeks ago, I'm, I'm doing these set, uh, this set of, of messages on some questions that I answered for uh, a young individual who wrote to me these questions, and I responded, and I took hours to, to put them down, to, to write them out, and I said, if there's one individual who has this question, there are several who have uh, this question as well, and so... I wanted to be able to bring those to you um, this morning, last week, or two weeks ago, and then next week as well as we look at these. I think they're important things, and I think they'd help you if you know Christ as your Savior to be able to answer these very questions that come up from those who don't know Christ. Um, 
the, the third question is one that I myself had as a uh, college student that we'll look at next week. But the questions that we have here is, you know, last week we looked at if God is all-powerful, why is there only one way to heaven? The one we cover today is, why is hell an option? And I'll phrase that question from that individual more fully in just a moment. But the next question next, uh, next week we'll look at is, what about people who never hear about Jesus, the Messiah? Uh, what happens to them? And so, uh, this morning, um, I want to just answer this question. This is what this person wrote. You know, they said, the, the really big question is... The, you know, why is hell an option? God made the rules of right and wrong and decided the punishment with only one way to avoid it. What that comes down to for God is to basically God saying, play my game or get eternally tortured with no chance of reprieve. Not all can go to heaven Because God set it up that way. That's vicious and cruel. Either we're wrong to understand what happened. Either God is vicious and cruel or we're wrong in the way we understand what happens after we die. So you can get the feel of where this person is coming from, from this question. And so, you know, I answered this. I, you know, I thanked them. I said, thank you for narrowing down the question to let me understand what is going on in your heart because this kind of question really is a window to the heart. What are you really thinking? What is your, where, where are your thoughts? What are you thinking in your mind? And in this question that they laid out for me, really there's a, a false dilemma, fallacy in this statement. Uh, if you notice, the, the, the writer of this question only gave me two options, right? God is cruel or we misunderstand hell. But when a question is set up in this way, this this or that kind of way, uh, it's called the false dilemma fallacy. If a question is set up this way, it, it, it may be that there's not only two options, that there's more than these two options. But the reason someone sets a question up like this is, I want to set the discussion on my terms. And these are the only two options I'm giving you. Um, If you don't tell me God is cruel, then you you have to tell me why hell doesn't exist. Well, what we need to see and understand this is that there's another way. Uh, You know, it's not otherwise, if it's not these two, I'm wrong. There's more more options on the menu. Um, You know, when you go into a restaurant, there's not just this or that. There's more items on the menu. You know, when you eat at home, it's what mom puts out. Uh, But... In, in this case, there's not this or that. God is not cruel or there's no hell. So let's begin by clearing up a few ideas here. 
about the initial presuppositions in that question. In that question that this individual wrote, there's, there's some presuppositions that we need to look at. Number one, the first presupposition is that God doesn't make the rules of right and wrong. It's part of his nature. We discussed that two weeks ago when we looked at the justice of God. It's who he is, right? It's God's justice. He could do no more to change the rules of right and wrong or make anything different than a sheep could change the natural color of its wool. It's part of who God is. He didn't set up these rules of right and wrong. They are because he is righteous, because he is just. Secondly, God did not set it up so not all can go to heaven. All can go to heaven. God made it possible for all to do so. And I'm going to state it in two negative ways and then two positive ways. The negative, the first negative is this. He does not choose anyone to go to hell. Secondly, he does not choose only certain people to go to heaven. Let me qualify that. He doesn't choose individual people to go to heaven. But he does say all those who come to Christ are chosen to go to heaven. So understand that. God doesn't say you, not you, 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 not you. He says... I've given Christ for the whole world. And if you come to Christ, you will have life. And so we see and recognize here two negatives. He doesn't choose anyone to go to hell. Secondly, nor does he choose only certain people to go to heaven Two positives. Number one, he draws all people to himself with the intention that they should go to heaven. He draws all people to himself with the intention that they should go to heaven. Secondly, he is grieved when they do not. He is grieved when they do not. Understand this very clearly in the heart of God. God is grieved if an individual does not come to heaven. We see this in, in Jesus. He's coming down from the Mount of Olives. He's overlooking Jerusalem. And he calls out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets and kill those who are sent to you. How often have I longed to gather you together as a hen gathers its chicks, but you were unwilling. You see, there's the point. God is willing for you to come to heaven. He's willing for you to have life with Him. But are you willing or unwilling? He looked over Jerusalem. He looked over His own people who should have recognized and understood who He was, but they were unwilling to do so. And He wept over that. He wept over Jerusalem. 
Then we see the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapters 9 and 10, he calls out and he says, Oh, I have unceasing grief in my heart for my people according to the flesh, my family according to the flesh, that they would be saved. Do you think that God was more compassionate than uh, Paul was more compassionate than God? Do you think he wanted all of his family, all of his Jewish brothers and sisters to be saved, but God didn't? He's, he's looking at what God's heart was. And he was grieved over those who did not know him. And then thir- a third example is that of Jonah in the city of Nineveh in the Old Testament. God sent Jonah to preach judgment to the city of Nineveh because he wanted the Ninevites to repent and come to know God. Jonah didn't want to do it. He was the unwilling prophet, but God encouraged him and made him willing. And he went and he preached and the people of Nineveh all repented and God relented of his judgment And Jonah was mad. And God comes to Jonah. Isn't that good how God deals with people where they are and doesn't give up on them? He said, Jonah, Jonah, don't you know? Don't you know there are 120,000 people who don't know their left hand from the right hand? They don't know what's right and wrong. There are 120,000 people that were saved from wrath. Can't you rejoice over that, Jonah? No, I'm mad. Okay, Jonah, well, if you can't can't feel good about those 120,000 people, what about all the sheep and the cattle that didn't get destroyed? He's trying to bring him up to where he should be and starts with, you know, at least feel good about the animals that didn't get destroyed. But this is the heart of God. He's grieved when people don't want this. Now, I mentioned previously in the the message two weeks ago that God's omnipotence doesn't mean God can do all things. Right? It means that he has all power to do all that he wants to do at any time without using up any of his energy. You know, sometimes we get all we want to get done during the day. But we're spent, right? God can do all that he wants to carry out and do without diminishing anything he has in his stores left over. But it doesn't mean that he can do all things, right? He cannot lie. There are things God cannot do. So that's not what omnipotence means. What it's not possible for God to do is to force people against their will to trust him. And, now he could do that. He can do that. He could force us against our will to trust him. But he can't force people against their will to trust him and still be able to have a genuine loving relationship with these people since he's overridden their actual desire to act as a moral free agent. Those two actions are mutually incompatible. Right, I come up to Don and I say, Don, do you love me? Oh yeah, he's shaking his head, right? I got a gun there. Don, 
You're going to do everything I say? I'm going to do everything you say. I've overridden his will. There's no genuine relationship between he and I if I've got a gun there. I've overridden his will. And so God cannot override the will of people and still have a genuine loving relationship with them. So think about this for a moment. Since God is all-knowing, since he knows everything, before creation, he knew the following three things. Now, you know more than that, but let's start with this. He knew the following three things. Number one, it is better to make an MFA, just because I didn't have space, moral free agent, okay? It was better to make a moral free agent who can enjoy God in eternity, even with the knowledge that some will not. Okay? God knew that was better. Secondly, he also knew it was better to make moral free agents who can love him and others for all eternity rather than those who had no moral free agency to choose to trust him. He could have made a perfect world with individuals having no moral free agency, but God knew it was better to make people with moral free agency than to not. That was what he knew. Thirdly, he knew it was better in, and, and think about this, in his eternal triune fellowship and love. For all eternity, God has existed in Father, Son, Spirit, and they have had a triune fellowship and love together for all eternity. They knew what that fellowship is. They've known what that fellowship is. They, they, they experienced this and they said, it is better for people to experience this than to not create anybody at all. They knew it was better for some to come to know this than to say, we don't want people in hell, so we're not going to create anybody. We're not going to create anyone. God knew those three things were better. That's why he created the world. And we need to understand in this, since he knows everything, he, he can know every single iteration of what might be at any given time in any given universe that he creates. And to see what he created was best. And that's what he did. In Genesis 1, it says as he created, he created what was good. And when the culmination of creation was completed, he said it was very good. Even knowing, in his foreknowledge, everything that was going to take place, even the evil that would. And so we have to understand this. God is God. God is kind. God is righteous. God is good. You know, the, the, the question of theodicy, uh, not the odyssey, but theodicy, the, 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 the problem of is God kind if there's evil in the world? Is God good? Is he just if there is moral evil in the world? That's been on people's radar for millennia. But the Bible communicates that God is just. He's justice. He's not vicious or cruel but it is of necessity God is right and 
good. He does what is of necessity, what is, what is necessary, and everything he does is right. We discussed that two weeks ago when we looked at his justice. But the fact is that God's justice means the very truth. He is not cruel. He does everything right and perfectly. And the problem is not with God. If there's a problem, the problem is with people. God did not make us flawed. He did not fit us for hell. He did not. As a matter of fact, we, we, we see that the Scripture says God created hell for the devil and his angels. We fit ourselves for it. You and I fit ourselves for hell. You see, God has given us everything necessary to know him, which is truly life. But instead, think about this, instead maybe... You purposely suppress the knowledge of God that he clearly places in you and around you. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that the unsaved individual suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. Literally holds it down. You, you literally stifle your conscience and the knowledge of creation to reject the God who gives you life and desires to give you eternal life. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them, being understood by what has been created, so that they are without excuse. There's no excuse for that. We understand this. We have the knowledge of God, and we reject it. Now, think about this. If I were to say this building just came about by chance with no outward handiwork, I would say that person either is on the intelligence level of a poached egg or they have an ulterior motive. In the same way, when we look at all of this, when we look around us and see the creation and we see its design and we see its beauty and we see its complexity, uh, we see its language that's encoded into it, we see the beauty and glory and, and, and from the minute to the expansive. If you were to say, this all came about by chance, I'd have to ask you, are you the poached egg or do you have an ulterior motive for saying this all came about by chance? Because it's the fool who says in his heart there is no God. The unsaved, though they know God, don't honor him as God or give thanks, Paul says. And in this way, individuals look to make a better universe than the creator. It's folly to think that God who is all-knowing and all-powerful, somehow flaw, made a flawed design in his universe. Think about that. Somehow, his creation is flawed because he didn't know enough, because he wasn't powerful enough. You, you, that person is like the Uber driver who, who declares, you know what? If I was president, I could fix all of this problem. You know what the problem is? I need to be president. 
And here you are, like that man, saying, I need to be the creator. If I was the creator, there wouldn't be all these problems in the world. If I was the creator, well, tell me, just just for confidence sake, start with trying to make a rabbit, and then I'll pay attention to what you have to say. Until then, God is creator. It's folly to assign unrighteousness to him. He could make all of this. He's made it in a way. So we really don't know better than God and God's justice and his character that causes him to do all of this that is right and good is not like that of a vicious individual who gains pleasure out of torturing people in a way a domineering child brutalizes a small animal in a cage. He gives to all life and breath and all things, Paul says in in Acts 17. He is kind even to the ungrateful and evil men, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He's kind even to ungrateful and evil people. Why does God not kill evil people immediately? Because none of us would be here. It might seem at first to allow people to go their own way would be a flaw in in God's design. And yet it's the part of his incredible plan whereby though all have been shut up in disobedience, everybody's gone their own way, it says why did he allow that so that he could show mercy to all? He's allowed all to go into disobedience so that he can show mercy to all. And so we we see this here, we understand this. In order for God to be able to show mercy, He took the penalty of that disobedience upon Himself. His wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men that is to be poured out, He poured it out upon Himself. He suffered hell Himself so that no one would have to. That's the truth. So that no one would have to. He bore patiently through millennia those offenses against his own person. So that all would have opportunity to turn to him. Even the sicknesses we bear that are caused because of Adam and Eve bringing corruption to the world. He died taking the penalty of all of that. So in the resurrection, there is no longer any tears or crying or anything else evil like that again. Imagine it this way. Imagine if you were to stand before God. Sorry, if you were to stand before a judge having committed murder and uh, theft and rape, and the judge says, verdict, guilty. Penalty, death. But then, he stands up, he takes his robe off and lays his glory aside and steps down off the bench, puts his hand around you, and he says, I am going to take the penalty on your behalf. That's 
what God did in Jesus Christ for you so that you might come to know Him. And so we see this. This is what what God has done. He has given us life. Paul says in in Acts 14 as he's speaking to the uh, to the, to the uh, Lystrans, he says, in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own way, and he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And in Acts 17, he says, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men all, that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by having raised him from the dead. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has been that by which he will draw all people to himself. And we need to see and understand this. If you think that God is unjust to allow people to go to hell, you need to see in Jesus Christ the kindness of God to keep you from that. For he provided the means for all people everywhere to know him and to escape the judgment to come. If you're unsaved, if you're unsaved, it's natural for you to see the righteousness of God's law written in your heart and to suppress that truth. But don't suppress it any longer. Recognize God is righteous and he's written his law on your heart and you are not righteous but He's given you a way by which you may be made righteous in His Son through faith. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And so we see this. Otherwise, what you do by suppressing that truth is you change the image of the corruptible God into an image of corruptible people. You see, by doing that, I'm, I should be the creator because I know better than what, what God has done. I could have made a better universe than this. By that, you deify yourself, you denigrate the God of the universe and His glory. Your rejection of God comes out of your desire to be the authority of your life and not to humbly submit to your Creator. Do you know what you've done by doing that? That's called breaking the first commandment. You've made an idol. My God wouldn't judge me for that. That's right, because your God doesn't exist. He's one you've made up in your own mind. He's not the righteous God who's provided a way for you to be made right with Him through His Son. So turn from that. Don't do that. And yet, as the unsaved who think that I could could do better than God, Paul says it's possible for you, if you're a Christian, to think that very same way and not to honor God if you are not renewing your mind daily in the gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, because of the mercies of God, because of this gospel we have, present yourselves a living sacrifice, he said, not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world wears us down to think like itself. And if you and I are not being renewed in our mind, we'll think just the same way as the world. We'll be angry at God because there is a hell. We'll be angry at God because I think I can make the world better. 
Two types of people, Paul says. Those who refuse to honor him as God. Those who are unsaved because there is a righteous creator who will bring justice to the world and judge every person by the standard of his son. See, some people say, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm better than most people. And yet, when we stand before God, the standard isn't going to be me against Don. Don, one of us is getting to heaven. It's not going to be you. It's not, that's not the standard, right? The stand, I'm picking on Don today. The standard, hey, here's Nate. I might as well. The standard is not us and someone else, any other normal human. It's between us and the God-man, Jesus Christ. If your standard meets his standard, you'll get to heaven. If you are as righteous as him, you'll get to heaven. That's why it's nothing we could do, why we have to receive it as a gift by faith. And the Christian yet may think the same thing if you neglect to renew your mind in the word. Please, turn away from that. Don't think the same way as the world. Now, you may be here unsaved, and you need to come to Christ. But you who've come to Christ need to keep your mind back on the gospel and see that God is just and kind and righteous. So let's think about it for a moment. Let's assume. Let's imagine there's no hell. Okay, I just wrote a song. Uh, it's just the opposite of Paul McCartney. But let's imagine for a moment there's no hell. Okay? No place of punishment for those who deserve it because they're guilty or corrupt. We have to ask ourselves, and, be, and, and think about this. We have to reason this. We have to say, where are we going to find a warrant for that? That this is justified. There's no hell. See, people think, well, I couldn't become a Christian because I'd have to turn off my brain and i have to stop reasoning. No, no, no. The Bible says if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to reason. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. So let's think about this for a minute. From where would we argue from such a position that there is no hell? Certainly not from the Scripture. Because Jesus speaks more about hell than he does heaven. He speaks more about judgment than forgiveness. So we can't go there to say there is no hell. Could you argue from your own conscience... Could you argue from your own conscience that there should not, that there does not exist a place called hell where people are punished? You don't feel that in your own soul. You don't recognize that in your own soul. You believe there should be justice in the universe. You believe that. There should be. Shouldn't there be a place for a wicked Hitler? Shouldn't there be a place for wicked Hitler who was responsible for the murder of so many people? And so shouldn't there also be a place for a person like you who was responsible for murdering so many in your heart? You're angry, you're mad at people, and you've murdered them in, their heart, in your heart. Those who are made in the image of God, you've killed them. So if Hitler deserves a place, so do you. And there deserves a place to be 
Otherwise, there would be no justice in the universe. Where could we go? Where could we see that? We say, shouldn't there be a place for evil men like Goebbels who told such grievous lies that destroyed so many beautiful lives? Shouldn't there also be a place for you who have hidden lies in your heart because of fear? because of convenience, because of malice, and you have destroyed many beautiful relationships because of it? Shouldn't we have a sense of justice over criminal behavior, but then not expect there also to be a God who does? No, there has to be. If we created a universe that was good and right, we would see the very same thing. There is a need for hell. I remember years ago, my cousin and I were talking, and he said, God will not send anybody to hell. He's, he's too good to send anybody to hell. In that same conversation that day, he was telling me, he was a, he was a restaurant manager, and he said, I had to fire a young busboy because he was taking food home. And my, my thoughts exploded. Cousin, do you think you're better than God? Who must punish this poor young busboy who is bringing home food to his family? But you don't think God should punish those who've done wrong? That's the height of hypocrisy, the height of hubris. To think that you should do that. But God shouldn't. When someone has done something against you, you want justice. God has given not only justice, but a place for mercy. Know that the only place that we could argue for such a position as that there is no hell is from either a corrupt, unregenerate mind that mocks the Creator or from a Christian mind conformed to the world's image because of a failure to daily renew in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Hell exists not because there are only a few bad people who deserve to go there. Hell exists because God is just and your sin is an affront to a holy God. Hell does not exist because God rejoices to send people there. That's not His intention. That's not His desire. His heart is grieved over each individual of His creation who goes there, especially because He has made provision for every one of them to not perish if they will but trust His Son the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who both through His death and being raised again on their behalf gives life, offers life to all who will call upon His name. He has borne the penalty for your sin, of, the, the penalty of eternal wrath for you, and you need not perish, but you do need to repent. You do need to recognize who God is and that He loves you so much. He gave His Son for you. 
John 3.17 says, He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might through Him might have life, might be saved. That's what He's done for you. So repent. If you are here without Christ, you need Him. You need to receive Him. You need to repent of your thought that God is a bad creator, unkind, unjust, vicious, cruel. And you need to see that hell is real and it is justified. And that yet in that truth, God out of His love for you gave His Son who will save you if you will but trust Him. God could not have made it simpler. The only thing you have to get past is your own pride. To humble yourself and say, yes, I need the Savior. That's it. And for you who are God's children, you need to repent. If you are not renewing your mind to see God's goodness and kindness in the gospel, to see his long-suffering toward all the world. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. His own word says that. And if you need Christ today, would you come and receive him? We're going to close our service here with a closing hymn. And as we do, I'm going to ask you, if you need Christ as your Savior, would you come forward? Somebody will be here to pray with you to receive Christ as your Savior. You afraid to go alone? Is there somebody that came with you? Say, would you go with me? Would you come up with me? Please, let's pray. Father, I ask, oh God, that you would work in each heart today. Show us, oh God, Remind us of the grace and kindness that's found in Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's someone here today, might they see and call upon your Son, the Lord Jesus. Father, please work by your Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing 206, There is a Redeemer. As we get ready to sing that song, There is a Redeemer. Do you need Him? you need to receive him, would you come? Please don't delay. We'll take a few minutes for you to come and receive Christ as your Savior. You come as we sing. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One, thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. One more verse. If you need Christ, don't delay, please. Would you come? Receive Him. As your Savior, you come as we sing. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, 
Oh, for sinners slain. Thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. All right, we're going to close in a word of prayer. And Mark, there's a meeting for the youth for the missions trip that's coming up. So um, where is that going to be, up here or down, downstairs? So for the youth that are going on the missions trip, uh, there'll be a meeting downstairs after. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you are just, that you are righteous, that you created everything good, very good. And yet, Lord, we turned to our own way. We thank you, Lord, that though we were all shut up in sin, you desire to show mercy to us all. Father, we bless you and praise your name. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.